Hello, and welcome to the Quest Church San Diego Sermon Podcast. Our church has a passion to reach people who are far from God, teach them to follow Jesus, and launch them out to serve God in the world. If you're in the San Diego area, we'd love for you to join us for a service. Please visit questsd.com to learn more about us, find out service times, and explore our ministries. If you have any questions, send us an email at info at questsd.com. Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoy today's message. Today is a great celebration. We are not only going to be looking at the story of Jesus' resurrection in the Bible, but at the end of our service, we're also going to celebrate those getting baptized today who are making that profession of faith and demonstrating that uh, they are uh, Christ followers as well. And so we are really excited to be looking at the, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. In fact, uh, as you go through the scriptures, you'll notice that the resurrection is so vital and so important to the plan of God's salvation. It's kind of like you ever played that game Jenga, where you stack all the blocks together and you're, you're building it all up really high, and then you pull that one block and the tower falls. Well, through Jesus's life and ministry, he stacked the plan of salvation together from the very beginning through his teaching by fulfilling prophecy in uh, being the one who is the Christ and the Messiah through the miracles that he performed as well, not only through his death, burial, but also resurrection. And if you pull the block of resurrection out of the plan of salvation, then it completely falls apart. Then that tower crumbles to the ground. And Paul, the apostle, said that if Jesus wasn't resurrected from the dead, then our faith would be futile. It would be pointless. But today we celebrate that Jesus is risen. And I want to talk to you today about how the empty tomb proves that Jesus Christ is who he says he was. And that the empty tomb proves that Jesus has prevailed over sin and over death and over the grave that he is the promised one to come, and also that the empty tomb proves that Jesus Christ has come to give us peace and the assurance of salvation. So if you have your Bibles, I would encourage you to open them with me to Luke chapter 24. The story of Jesus' resurrection is actually recorded in all of the Gospels, but we'll be looking at Luke's account. And in this account, we see a couple of people. In fact, it's pretty remarkable when you look at the cast of characters surrounding Jesus during his death, burial, and resurrection. They're just normal people like you and I. They were experiencing worry, fear, and doubt. Some of them were far from God and needed his peace. Some of them were also even those who doubted the claims of Christ. But what we're going to see at the end of this story is that Jesus presents himself personally to each and every single one of them. And I believe he'll do the same for you and I. As we read through this story, we are reminded that the resurrection of Jesus Christ ensures the salvation of God. As I mentioned, it's critical and important for understanding the resurrection, that the, the tomb is empty. And so you can look with me there in Luke chapter 24, beginning in verse 1. We read that now on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they and certain other women with them came to the tomb, bringing the spices which they had prepared. But they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. And then they went in and did not find the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
So in these opening verses, we're introduced to this remarkable early morning story of women going to the tomb. And these women later on, we're told, were very close to Jesus. In fact, their names are Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, the mother of James and other women. And some of these women, Jesus delivered them from oppression, from demonic oppression. And so they loved and followed Jesus And early in the morning, they go to prepare Jesus's body, because if you remember the story, his his body was laid into the tomb because it was the Sabbath and it was a holy day. and You couldn't do any work or be defiled. And so Jesus's body was laid in the tomb very quickly. And uh, these women went to the tomb to prepare his body and anoint his body. And what they found was something that they did not expect. In fact, the other Gospels tell us that these women went to the tomb, and uh, they were talking among themselves, saying, who's going to roll the stone away, or what are we going to see? And they were really crushed. Their, their hopes and their dreams in Jesus Christ were completely shattered. These women went to the tomb that morning, stressed and broken. They were worried as well as depressed. And we're told that the stone was rolled away. Now, this was a custom during this time that these tombs were carved out of stone for someone very wealthy. Jesus wasn't wealthy, but a man offered his tomb for Jesus's body. And uh, there was a stone, a big stone that was rolled in front in order to seal the, uh, the tomb. And uh, we're also told in the other Gospels that the Roman authorities placed soldiers out front and they sealed it in order to ensure that some of his disciples didn't come and steal the body away secretly so that they could claim that Jesus really did, in fact, resurrect from the dead. And so they found something pretty remarkable that morning. The stone was rolled away. Now, we're told later on in the story that Jesus appears to his disciples through the walls. So we know that Jesus' resurrected body wasn't limited to the physical world that we live in. And so the stone wasn't rolled away so that Jesus could get out of the tomb. The stone was rolled away so that we could go in, so that we could see, so that we could verify, so that we could prove for ourselves that the tomb is empty. And these women experience the remarkable news that continues on in the story in verse 4. They're met by some angels. And it happened as they were greatly perplexed about this that, behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. Then as they were afraid and bowed their faces to the earth, they said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? That's a very important phrase. In fact, it's pretty natural for us to go to a a cemetery or go to a grave, and we're going to visit our deceased loved ones. We expect the dead among the cemetery. But these angels proclaim something very powerful. It's really the gospel. Why are you coming to seek somebody who is resurrected from the dead? In fact, they go on to say he's risen. He is not here. That Jesus provides the victory over sin and over death. And the empty tomb is really the exclamation point of the cross because it was just three days earlier that Jesus was nailed to the cross. He suffered an excruciating pain and substitutionary sacrifice for our sins, because the Bible says that God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. And God demonstrated His own loves towards us in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. 
And if there's some good news, then we also know that there's some bad news. And the bad news is that the Bible says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And the wages or the penalty of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And so we see that the resurrection is the exclamation point of the uh, cross, that the claims that Jesus made are proven through the empty tomb. And the resurrection was always a part of God's plan, that Jesus has conquered death. He is alive, glorified, and actively present in our lives. This is what the angels proclaim. In fact, uh, you remember when Jesus was born, the angels also proclaimed to the shepherds who were watching their flocks at night. And they said, Behold, there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. So from the very beginning, we know that Jesus was dispatched on a rescue mission in order to sacrifice and lay down his life. Yes, Jesus is the com coming and conquering king, but he first came as the suffering servant, the humble servant, to ensure the salvation for you and I and the substitutionary sacrifice on the cross. They say to these women, he is not here, verse 6. He is risen. Everyone say risen. And now, and now say it again so that all of San Diego County can hear you. Risen? Yes, amen. He is risen. He is not here. Now the next word is pretty important too. Remember. Remember how he spoke to you when he was still with you in Galilee, saying the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified. And the third day rise again. And then they remembered his words. So the empty tomb proves that Jesus did what we could not. He prevailed. It also proves that Jesus provides victory over death. And now we see that the empty tomb proves that Jesus is who he says he was. He is the promised one. And Jesus made a lot of claims during his life. One of those claims is that he said, I am the resurrection and the life. He or she who believes in me, though they die, Yet shall they live. Jesus was speaking of life after death. There's a physical death, but who you really are, your soul, is so much more valuable to God. Because the Bible also says, what will you give in exchange for your soul? There's nothing that you can give in exchange for your soul. It's not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but it's according to his mercy, he has saved us. The only exchange that you can accept for your soul is Jesus Christ. He was the one who ex was exchanged for you on the cross. He also claimed a couple of other things. He said, I am the bread of life, meaning he is the one who provides for us and uh, he sustains us. He also said he is the light of the world. So he is the one shining the light in the darkness. Jesus also said, I am the way, the truth and the life. And no one comes to God except through me. And that continues on when he said, I am the door. He is the one in whom we have access not only to the throne room of God, but also to the presence of God. That Jesus now is our great mediator. He is the one that gives us access. But we're also told in the book of Revelation that Jesus stands at another door. And that is the door of your heart. That's the door of your, of your life and of your soul. And he's knocking. And I wonder if over this last week, 
over this last year or even over this last five years, whether or not God has been knocking at the door of your heart, wanting to get your attention. You see, Jesus isn't just going to kick down the door of your life. He's waiting for an invitation to come in. And that scripture tells us that if we invite Jesus into our lives, he wants that relationship with us. So he's the promised one. He has come to ensure the forgiveness of sin. And he is also uh, proving the claims that he made during his life. And uh, the angels say that Jesus is risen. And this, as I said already, is so very important to the plan of salvation. But we also see the transaction that was made on the cross really being proven by the empty tomb. And uh, I don't know if you've ever swiped your card at the grocery store and the screen on that little card reader says, transaction declined. Yeah, it's probably happened to you from time to time. Why is that? It's because there were insufficient funds to be able to provide for what you were purchasing. Maybe that's your Amazon account. You need to just make sure that you got all those things in your cart. You have enough money for it. Well, spiritually speaking, uh, the Bible talks about how Jesus has come to uh, give us the remission of sins. And there is, uh, maybe you've come across that term in the medical field as well. Maybe you received a a diagnosis or you've had an illness and the doctor has said, well, you've got these symptoms. And then you've followed the treatment and you've gone back and the doctor would say this great news. This is the news you want to hear when you have an illness or a sickness, that uh, that sickness is in remission. And the doctor, what he means is that there are no longer any symptoms in your body and you don't have any indication of that illness anymore. And that's really great news. Well, spiritually speaking, not only is there a transaction that has taken place through Jesus on the cross with the resurrection being the receipt, proving that the funds, that the payment was made in full through what Jesus Christ has done for you. There's this wonderful verse and a song that says, Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin has left a crimson stain, but Jesus has washed me white as snow. That's the transaction on the cross. But we also know that is through the shed blood of Jesus Christ that now, even though every single one of us are infected with the disease of sin, have been inoculated, have been injected, have been cleansed, have been washed, have been healed. Our sin now in Christ Jesus is in remission. It's been obliterated. There's no chance of it to come back. It has been healed. And yeah, you can give the Lord a round of applause for that. Praise the Lord for what he has done for us. Amen. Now, what we see in closing here is that there are many people encountering Jesus and his resurrection. And I want to highlight just a couple of them as we continue reading this story in verse 9. It says, Then they returned, that is the women, to the tomb and told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. So these are the rest of the apostles. And it was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. And their words seemed to them like idle tales, and they did not believe them. But Peter arose and ran to the tomb, stooped down. He saw the linen clothes lying by themselves, 
and he departed, marveling to himself at what had happened. So we have the women who go early on, and we know that these women, God did a miraculous work in healing them, but yet they were overwhelmed with worry and anxiety. However, what did they do? They still went to seek Jesus. That's a good thing. If you're ever overwhelmed, continue to seek Jesus because he's going to offer you, offer you and I his peace. But then we also see Peter, and Peter was one of the closest apostles to Jesus. And he was so on fire for God and really zealous for Jesus that one time he told Jesus, if every single one of these followers deny you and walk away from you, I will not. And during Jesus' last moments on earth, Jesus turned to Peter and he said with a, with a loving face and a loving look, he said, before this night is over, you're going to deny me three times. And it happened just as Jesus said. And the story just in the previous verses tells us that when, G, when Peter denied Jesus, he wept and he ran away. Notice he ran away from Jesus. Can you imagine how lonely Jesus was when he was forsaken and betrayed? You know, Jesus understands your loneliness. He understands, even though you can be in a crowd this size, that you can still feel lonely. Jesus was very lonely. Even Peter ran away. But notice, he's running to the tomb. And Peter is a great example for us of those who once walked close with God, but now find themselves afar off. And then lastly, we see in verse 36, you can kind of jump down to the uh, end of the chapter. In verse 36, it says, Now, as they said these things, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them and said to them, Peace to you. Everyone say, Peace. This is what Jesus offers to his disciples and what Jesus offers to us today. In fact, one of the other names of Jesus is the Prince of Peace. And before Jesus went away from his disciples, he said, Peace I give you. Peace I leave with you, not as the world gives to you. Jesus gives us a different kind of peace. And peace isn't the absence of, uh, of hardship and of pain. Uh, peace is actually having the presence of God, the, the closeness of Jesus as we're going through those hardships and pain because he's the good shepherd. He walks us through the valleys of the shadow of death. And notice in verse 37, but they were terrified and frightened and as they supposed they had seen a spirit. And Jesus said to them, why are you troubled? Why do doubts arise in your hearts? Behold, my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Handle me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bone as you see I have. Jesus, the first thing that he does after he resurrects from the dead is he pursues those he loves. And he presents himself. He brings and offers the peace. That is another proof of the empty tomb, that he offers peace to troubled hearts. As I mentioned already, there, these women experience Jesus' peace, those crushed by worry. And I wonder if maybe you can identify with some of these human emotions. Maybe you've experienced some of this, may, maybe even in your own life, Right now, this very week, worry, anxiety, or fear, Jesus would say to you this Easter Sunday that I am with you, that I love you. I'll never leave you or forsake you, and I offer you my peace. Now, peace is pretty remarkable because we can't experience the peace of God 
until we have first received the grace of God. When we receive His grace as a free gift through faith, then the peace of God floods our hearts, which transcends all understanding, being reconciled in relationship to Him. And we also see Peter, who is one who was close to Jesus, but now afar off. And I know from my own personal life, I was raised in a Christian home. My parents followed Jesus and took me to church and Awanas and the choir and prayed for me and, and lived in the, in the example of God. Not perfect, but still I, I was raised in the church. And yet there was a season of my life where I walked away from God. I got involved in all those things that leave a lot of hurt and pain and turbulence and scars in our lives and drugs and in alcohol. There was a lot of hate and anger in my heart. And I was searching for peace. I knew where to find ultimate peace, but I looked for peace in, in areas that was only temporary. It wasn't lasting. And it wasn't until I surrendered my life to Christ where the peace of God really flooded my heart. And it was... It was um, it, it lasted and it didn't go away. And you can experience that same peace. And, and I wonder if there's anyone in, in, in our crowd today or watching online who you used to walk close to God. You used to go to church. You used to be really on fire for Jesus. You used to pray and get up early in the morning and do your devotions. And I'm not saying doing those things make you a really good Christian, but it was evident of your passion for God. And you're just not doing that anymore because life took a toll on you. There was a lot of pain that you experienced. And now your heart has gotten a little hard, uh, hard and a little bit jaded. And I'm here to tell you today that God loves you. And He hasn't walked away from you. He's right where you left Him. In fact, He's probably pursuing you because He's like the good shepherd who leaves the 99 and runs after that one black sheep. Any black sheep in the crowd? I'm sure there are. I know I live my life as a black sheep, running from God. But that's the good thing about the good shepherd, is that he's going to pick you up out of the pit. He's going to dust you off. And you don't need to clean yourself up to come to God. Let him do it. Because I tried to look really good. Sure, we might have our Sunday Easter best on. But uh, that means nothing when it comes to your heart. Because God doesn't look at the outward appearance. He looks at your heart. And then also, there are those who doubt the claims. In fact, there's another man that the other Gospels tell us. His name is Thomas. We call him Doubting Thomas because he said, I'm not going to believe that Jesus is alive until I see him with my own eyes, until I touch him. And uh, that is a picture of somebody who's a skeptic. And Jesus even comes to those who are skeptical. And he says, handle me, touch me. And see, you know, there was a story about a, a man who's now, he's now a Christian author and uh, he's an atheist and he wanted to disprove the claims of the Bible and of Jesus. And so he went on this long journey trying to discredit the scriptures. And as he was on this journey, he in fact discovered the power of the truth of God's word and he became a Christ follower. And he wrote a book called The Case for Faith and The Case for Christ. And uh, in those books, there's this journey of an atheist coming to faith in Christ. And it's okay to have questions and to have doubts. God's big enough to handle all of that. But when you take them to Him, when you seek and search, when you are really seeking God, if you're a spiritual person, 
then the Bible says, if you seek me with all your heart, you'll find me. And maybe today is the day to take that next step of faith. As Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And to handle Jesus and see for yourself that he is real, that he is alive, that he loves you, that he's pursuing you, that he has prevailed, that he is the promised one, and that he provides victory over death and over sin, and that he offers you and I peace. Friends, I want every single one of us to have that assurance in our hearts and in our lives today before we leave this place. And so I'm going to ask our worship team to come on up. They are going to lead us in a couple of closing songs. But before we do, I want to give anybody in our crowd today an opportunity to accept this free gift of Jesus Christ, what he has done for us. So would you bow your heads and your hearts with me? And let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the empty tomb. Thank you for the power of the resurrection. And thank you for the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ that transforms us and changes us. Thank you that you come in the midst and you sit down with us wherever we're at. You know every detail about our lives. You've drawn us here today because you love us. And I pray if there is anybody crushed by worry that they would receive your peace today. I pray if there's anybody who is at an arm's distance from God, I pray that they would walk closely to you. If there's anybody who's asking and considering the claims of Christ, that they would experience the goodness of God in their lives, the peace of God. Friends, there's no special formula for being a Christ follower. In fact, that, that's the remarkable thing about biblical Christianity, which differentiates it from all other religions. In all other religions, it's what I can do to earn God's approval, to get close to God. But Christianity is completely different. It's what God has done in reaching down to us, doing what we could not by sending his son, Jesus Christ. And the Bible says that if we confess our sin, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If you've never repented of your sin or received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I want to lead you in a prayer. Just as our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, would you repeat this sincerely and earnestly? Having heard the gospel, recognizing what Jesus Christ has done for you, say, God, forgive me of my sins. I repent. I turn away. I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I believe that he died on the cross for my sins, that he was buried in the tomb and rose three days later, giving me victory over sin and over death. I pray that you would make me born again by the Spirit of God. I want to please you and serve you and love you with all of my heart, soul, mind, and strength. I turn from my way and I turn to your way. I thank you for newness of life in Christ Jesus. And I pray this by faith in the finished work of Christ. Amen. Amen. Friends, if you prayed that prayer, I want to encourage you to let us know that you made that decision to follow Christ. You can do that online. You can scan the QR codes on any of the posters out there. You can fill out a Connect card and let us know that you made that decision. 
uh, you can talk to me or any one of our ministry team leaders or pastors. We want to encourage you in that decision. But we're also going to be celebrating those who have not only made that decision to follow Christ, but are going to be baptized today. So I'm going to invite all those who are getting baptized to join us on stage. You guys can come on up and uh, make your way up just from the side or wherever you're at. I don't know, from all over. Make your way up here. And I know we've talked with, you guys can come all the way up. You're like, I don't want to go up on stage. That's a little too embarrassing. No, we've already talked about this. I promised that I wouldn't make them speak. Uh, but uh, we do want to pray for them as they are making this commitment in getting baptized. So come on up. We've got a big crew today getting baptized. So uh, we can just kind of fill in behind here. They're making their way up. You know, the Bible says part of being a disciple is that we would baptize people in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. In fact, Jesus himself was baptized, and he gives us that example. And as we've talked with you, as well as with your parents and, and, and family, that getting baptized is not what saves us. It's not what forgives us. It's a demonstration of what Jesus Christ has done for us. So just as water washes away dirt, so it's a picture of, of Jesus' blood washing away our sins. And as we go down into the water of baptism, it's a, it's a symbol or a picture of, of identifying with Jesus' death and burial, and then coming out, identifying with Jesus' resurrection. And I know that uh, these individuals have made a decision to get baptized, but uh, you know, the water's full. And the water's warm. And if you made a commitment to follow Christ at the end of the service, if you'd like to get baptized, we want to support you as well in that decision also. So would you guys pray with me as we pray for those getting baptized? Heavenly Father, thank you so much for all of those who are getting baptized today. What an encouragement it is as we see them taking this step of publicly confessing their faith in Jesus Christ. May it encourage us, may it inspire us, may it bless us, and uh, we pray that this would be a day and a moment that they will never forget, a day that you continue to work in their lives. We pray for the many years ahead. Many of those getting baptized are, are students and are younger, and we pray, God, that you would fill each of them with your Holy Spirit. Empower them to be witnesses for you. Lord, you say, I know the plans that I have. May you fulfill all your plans for them. And it's in Jesus' name. And we all said, Amen. Amen. Thanks again for joining us for the Quest Church San Diego Sermon Podcast. We hope you were encouraged by today's message. If you have any questions about the Bible, need prayer, or recently made a commitment to follow Jesus, we'd love to hear from you. Please visit questsd.com to get connected. You can also send us an email at info at questsd.com to let us know how God is using these messages to encourage you in your walk with Jesus. Until next time, we pray you have a blessed week.